You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. If you have a copy of your Bible with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll be reading the entire chapter. It's not a long chapter. Our focal text this morning will be verses 4 and 5. In a sermon I've entitled, Judgmental Christians. Uh, I know there is some shock value to that, but it's not necessarily the, the reason I called it that. I called it that so that when it pops up in my file on my computer, I will remember that I want to live by the Lord's Word and not by the worldview and the society. And that's, that's what the Lord was teaching me through this. If you have your Scripture found and you're ready to hear the Scripture, say Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you, all of you, constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because, of our, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father, we come before You as a church once again this day, and and God, I just confess to You openly before You and before this congregation that I cannot even understand Your Word unless by Your mercy You send Your Holy Spirit to make it known to me and to reveal your own self. That's what your word does, Lord, is it reveals who you are. And So we pray that you would be merciful to us as a church, as your followers, as your children, as your elect, that you would have mercy on us and that you would sanctify us this day by the, by the speaking of your word, by the hearing of your word. And we're only asking, God, that you would do what you have said you will do. And so we can, we can pray this in confidence because I know, Lord, that you love me. 
We ask you these things in the name of my Savior, the Lord Jesus. We, uh, we live in a strange time. We live in a time of chaos, a time when the, the world's view uh, has, has rearranged the definitions of words that we hold dear. Words like love and justice, grace and mercy. We live in a time when the things of God... His attributes are under attack. Now, don't misunderstand me. We're just men and women, and so there's, there's nothing new under the sun, just like Solomon said. There's no new sin. We're not living in a time that's worse than there has ever been. We're, we're not that special. We're not that important in the grand scheme of things. However, there is a truth that God in His sovereignty places His created beings in different times and different spaces, and there's an effect on that. And it just so happens that this group of folks here landed in a strange time with a lot of people. There's no new sin, but there are more sinners. There are more sinners today than there ever have been because there are more people, and people are sinners We live in a politically charged world where the things of God are under attack. Christians are often thought of as judgmental. I have a personal, the one that comes to my mind every time, I suppose, until the Lord takes me home. Not in this church, in a former church. We had, uh, I mean, I'll just say it my wife received an invitation to a baby shower. And it was a couple from our church who were not wed and didn't appear that they were going to be. And, uh, and I, just, I just couldn't, I couldn't go on. I could, the Lord would not let me go on with that. And so I approached this young couple and I begged them to make this right. And, and I will never forget, the response came from the, from the young lady, not the young man. The response was, we feel judged. We made some new friends at the birthday party yesterday, and, and we had a discussion about uh, living in a world where we are controlled by our feelings more than an objective truth, and it affects us. Listen, it affects us as followers of Christ, as Doctrines of grace embracers, as Bible study leaders, as, as men and women who are serious about the things of God, the elect, the actual true and real church that goes home and, and prays and, and reads our Bible and spends time with the Lord, those things still affect us. Don't, don't be fooled to think, don't fall for the the trap that the enemy sets for us that, well, I'm too mature to, to fall into that. Don't fall for that mess. You may notice, as I, as I preach this, you may notice that uh, the last several times that I've been called upon to, to pinch hit, uh, 
there's been kind of a Holy Spirit theme, and that's that's no accident. That's where the Lord has had me. And I and I'll tell you the I'll tell you the thing that's that the Lord is chasing around in my heart. It's this. It's something really Hushbeck has brought up and, and caused me to start meditating on it. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm scared to death in the general public to start talking about spiritual gifts because I'm scared that they will lump me in with some charismatic group and say, oh, well, this guy believes like we do or, or he believes like some nut that I know. I'm scared to death to, to say, I say scared to death, Maybe that's not the correct term. I hold back what I will say to someone in fear that they might misunderstand me. And I don't want to live like that. If I want, to, I want to understand who the Holy Spirit is. I want to understand His ministry in my life. I want to speak with Him and know Him personally and intimately. I want him to do the same with me. I want to give him free range in my home and, and, an, and, a, and, and an invitation, not just an openness. He, he's sovereign. He, he doesn't need my permission. But I want, to, I want to openly invite the truth of God's Word into my life and into my home. And sometimes that doesn't go along with our Baptist view. I'm afraid. And so this, this issue of judgmental Christians came up. Now, now I'll, let me just go straight to the spot. This is, this is the thing that, that stood out. This is the text that the Lord began to chase around in my heart and, and grab a hold of me and cause me to start meditating on it. It's this in the end of verse 5. He says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Now, that caused me to start thinking that here's, here's a truth that's, that's hard to speak out loud because I'm, I, it's one of those issues. I fear that it's going to seem braggadocious. I fear that someone would think that I'm judgmental, that I'm, that I'm saying I'm, I'm holier than thou, or I'm, I'm closer to the Lord than you. But, but this is what the Scripture is telling me. Paul... These, these three men, Paul and Silas and Timothy, wrote back to the Thessalonians and they said, at least to some extent, the validity of the gospel message that was preached to you was affected by the character of the men that preached it. And so, here are the questions that, that arise in my heart as I study these things out, as I meditate on the Scripture. Do I dare call out a false sense of security in someone? It's offensive. Do I dare question the validity of another, another's profession of faith? Do I dare I doubt the freely spoken word of a fellow American that says he's right with God. I heard, uh, I can't remember, I was thinking about it on the way down here this morning, I, and I can't remember who, who said it, but I heard a preacher say in a sermon one time that, he said, well, you Baptists think that you're the only ones going to heaven. And he said, well, it's even worse than that. We don't even think all the Baptists are going to heaven. 
And that's kind of the that's kind of the heart issue that I'm dealing with here. Now, 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 Paul, these these three apostles, I say that I have in my notes here, a big A and two little A's. These three men of God looked back at this and they, they questioned the validity of the church at Thessalonica out of an anxiousness. And, and, and it's stated in the letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, for this reason, when I could no longer bear it. And the context is, he's, he said, Paul said, I was worried about you, I was worried about you, I was worried about you. We finally couldn't take it anymore, and so we sent Timothy. We sent Timothy to check on you. And he says there, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So he's saying, what he's saying is, I knew how you were living when I left, but I was worried about you. I didn't want to leave you with a false sense of security if you hadn't truly come to a saving knowledge of Christ. That's a valid uh, care for a Christian. That's a valid thing to think a valid thing to be concerned about for a follower of Christ in any human being. All of us have some people in our lives that are much closer to us than the others. That's normal. Our family members, our children, our co-workers, our husbands and wives, our, our parents. It's a valid it's a valid concern for, for the heart of a follower of Christ to, to go back and judge, if you will, the fruits of salvation. They did it here. If you look at, uh, at verse 9, you're going to see faith and repentance from the church of the Thessalonians. He said, I, we saw... The reception that you had among the reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols. He said, "So we see your faith and repentance." They had in verse seven their their testimony had gone out before them. He said, "We we we don't even have to mention you. You get mentioned to us when we travel around." So their testimony. Remember, I, I always think about Lazarus. Remember, after Lazarus had been raised from the dead by the Lord Jesus. And a couple of chapters later, they're having a big meal, and the Scripture says a lot of the people came there to see Lazarus because that became his testimony. I want to go see the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. I want to look at him. That ought to be our testimony. And so these three men say, we, we see that your testimony has gone out before you. We see faith and repentance. We see that you received the Word not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God, he said. As it really is. We see that you received that with the joy of the Holy Spirit and much affliction. All of these things are fruits of salvation, of a true repentant heart that has a true saving faith of Jesus Christ. All points, all things point to good. All things point to good for the church at Thessalonica. In fact, if Meridian Church was going to stand up and say, let's pattern ourselves after a church from the Bible, this would be the one. 
this would be the one. It's the only letter that we really have that is just praising the church and saying, you're doing great. We're so encouraged by the fruits of salvation that we see in you. Now we exhort you to grow more and more, but there's no big rebuke coming to Thessalonica like there is the other churches. This is the elect. I just read a chapter that he's basically saying, look, we praise God because we look at you and we see you're the elect. You're the real deal. It's driving us forward because we're encouraged at your faith and repentance, your testimony, your character. But then came this statement that bugged me. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Now that seems to me to be a bit of a hinge in this text, in this chapter. Everything after that is their fruits. Their fruits of salvation. Everything before that is the message that got preached. And so when, when these three men looked back, they said, we're anxious about your testimony, we're anxious about your understanding of God and who He is, we're not only going to judge your fruits and look at you, but we're going to go back and say, did we preach the gospel? Look at what he says here in verse 4. That's, that's our focus. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because, he says, our gospel came to you not only in word. And so... When they looked back and inspected their own, their own testimony, their own character in the preaching of the gospel, how they were used as instruments by God, as they went back and, and self-examination kind of a thing, I want to I know, first of all, that your fruits are good, but then I want to know where that came from. He, first thing that we notice is that it's through the correct conduit, the Word. He says, our gospel, now they're not claiming that that gospel belongs to them in the sense that it came from them. They're claiming that that, in fact, I believe when he says our gospel, he doesn't necessarily mean Paul, myself and Timothy and Silas. What he means is yours and mine and ours. Because when the gospel, when the word comes, it, it becomes a gift that the Lord gives you. When Ephesians says, He gives you the gift of faith, salvation comes by, by grace through faith, and that is the gift of God. It becomes my noun, my possession, something that I own. These men knew that true salvation must come through the Word. Romans chapter 10 13 through 17 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who, who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of the Lord. 
So as a proof, as a, as a redundant safety, these three men looked back and said, well, we see your good works, but we don't want to just see your good works. We want to see supernatural good works. We want to know that those good works came through the Word, through the correct conduit. And they saw that. They know. We preach that gospel, and as we look back, we know that you heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That's a, that's a redundant safety when, when there is security in salvation that you are concerned. I want to make a note here. He says, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, but this is not just a desperate call to any old God that's listening. This is on the name of the Lord. This is a known God known by His Word, by the preaching of His Scripture, by the reading of His Scripture, by the hearing of the Word of God. You know the name of the Lord when you call on Him in salvation. You know who He is because He has revealed Himself to you. You're calling on a particular God, the God of heaven, the God of creation, a God of holiness and justice and mercy. A God who has proclaimed Himself like the beginning of this letter says. This church is in God the Father and Christ Jesus. If you back up in Romans, He says you, ha you have to recognize that Jesus is Lord and the Father is the one who raised Him. Verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and in believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. So this is not just a random God that I'm calling out in desperation because I found myself in a bind somehow. I mean, we've all seen that. We've all seen people get in a bind and come to the altar and blow snot all over everything and cry and carry on and then six months later they're gone again. It's a travesty. And I don't mean to be harsh about it. And I don't mean to be judgmental in a way that would be sinful. I do mean to follow the prescribed way for judging someone's fruits. Because that individual is not safe. It not only came through the correct conduit, it came with much compulsion. Look at there in verse 5. He says, not only in word, but also in power. These three men looked back and said, we were there, we preached the gospel, we know we preached what was right, we know we preached Christ and Him crucified, we know we preached that God the Father had planned this from, from eons past, we know that we preached all of those things. We preached Christ raised from the dead and we felt that power going out. We witnessed that power. Power of the Word of God is a requirement for salvation. The true gospel message carries with it the omnipotence of God. He is omnipotent. Deuteronomy 32 is, is bold and harsh. 
For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees their power is gone. And none remaining, bond or free. Then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be protection. See now that I, even I, says God, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. The spoken word of God comes in power. And that power is a requirement for salvation. Man cannot overcome his own sinful state without the power of God. It's impossible for man to muster up enough fortitude to overcome his own sinful state. He is dead. I've heard R.C. Sproul say, we, we get this image of, of someone who's drowning in the sea and they're barely keeping their lips above the waves as they crash down and, and, and the Lord Jesus throws out a life preserver. But the Bible says it more like this. He's a dead, rotting corpse on the bottom of the ocean. And the sovereign hand of God reaches down and plucks him out of the sea and breathes life into his dead nostrils. The creation account is said by theologians to have been ex nihilo, something out of nothing. There was nothing and God just spoke and there was something. The same can be said of a man's faith. There was nothing and God spoke and there was something. Romans 1.16, if you've been around the church very long at all, you've heard it preached. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. The dunamis, where we get our word for dynamite. We've all heard it a thousand times probably. It is a blast of power, an unexpected shockwave of power that comes from the spoken gospel. For while we were still yet weak, Romans 5, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 8, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. John 1, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. 1 Corinthians 1, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, But to to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the apostle's point and his two companions. They could look back at the gospel and see that it came in power and they could have confidence that these fruits from the church at Thessalonica was real. Has it ever bothered you that uh, someone who is obviously lost is nicer than you? (laughs) I mean, I'm just trying to be transparent. Nice people that don't know the Lord make me sick. 
because I think to myself, you know, why can't, why can't I be that kind and that generous or that, that uh, merciful when I know that here's an example, here's an example uh, that, that everybody knows, Oprah will publicly denounce Christ and his deity. I mean, she has said some, some absolutely heinous words against my Lord on television several times. But then she comes out on top of her, on the front of her show and says, you got a car, you got a car, you got a car, you got a car. And people just eat it up with spoons. And I think, I've never been that generous. I've never been that kind to a house full of people. Even if I had the money, I don't think I'd buy all y'all cars. Even if I had the money. Big Fords if I did, Bob. It's a redundant safety. I come from a world of, of industrial maintenance. And, and in several applications, there are redundant safeties to keep things from going haywire. If you have, a, if you have a, 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 say, a motor that's, that's wired to open and close, there's a redundant safety in there so that when you push open, close is taken out of the picture. You can't, wire, you can't heat both of those up at once. The gas pedal in your car has a redundant safety in it. It has a positive voltage and a negative voltage. That way, if one of those goes out, your computer doesn't look at that and say, oh, well, he's got it on the floor. Let's go. There's a redundant safety there. That's what the, that's what the apostle's doing here. He's saying, well, I see your fruits and I see good works that line up with what a saved person does, but I want to know where that came from. I want to look back and also look at my own self and say, was my character right? Did I preach the right thing? It, it acts as a restraint, I believe, in the apostle's life so that he knows I'm not going to go into this city and preach morality because I may sway those people into morality and send them straight to hell. I'm going to go in and I'm going to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It was through the correct conduit, he says, not only in word, but with much compulsion. It was also in power. The gospel is compulsory. When the gospel of Christ grabs a hold of you, it's irresistible. You cannot, you cannot run from it. Remember when Christ said to Saul of Tarsus, it's hard to kick against the goads. You can fight it for a while because you're stubborn and stiff-necked. But there's a compulsory aspect to that power that drives you to repentance out of mercy and kindness to glorify His own self. Not only did it come by the correct conduit, the spoken word, and with much compulsion in power, but also in the spirit of counsel. Look at your scripture there. It says, because our gospel came not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the bringer of that power. He's the deliverer of that power. He is the God who is ever-present amongst us. Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God in the throne room interceding for us. The Holy Spirit here with us, the bringer of that gospel power. First Corinthians chapter 2 says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not, not proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Last time I preached on whether it's right for me to, to chase after the manifest presence of the Spirit of God in my life and in my home, in our church services. We determined that yes, it is a necessity really. A necessity for me to keep going, to chase after the Spirit and say, feed me, teach me, rebuke me, exhort me. The thing about... Now, I had, this, I had this last, but I'm going to say it now. The thing about this precept, this, this redundant safety in going back and, and examining the security of these believers at Thessalonica is that this also applies to my own heart. I've had a time personally... Now, now I was saved in uh, Doctrines of Grace Church. The true and real gospel got preached to me. And over a period of, of weeks or months, I'm not even sure, the Spirit of God just continued to deal with me and, and, and remind me of those, those words echoing in my ear. I thought I was going to heaven because I'm from the country. Because I'm from good people. Yankees and Russians are doomed but the spirit of God said to my heart over and over and over again if that's what a follower of Christ is what's being preached if that's what a follower of Christ is is that what you are is that what you believe is that how you respond when Zerubbabel was faced with the daunting task in Zechariah chapter 4, uh, contemporary of Ezekiel and, and, and right around the Jeremiah time, and, and Zerubbabel was, 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 was faced with the, with the daunting, impossible task of rebuilding the temple. And in verse 6, a vision came, and, and this is what the word of the Lord said. Tell Zerubbabel, thus says the Lord, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It's an impossible task to get saved. It's an impossible task to stay saved. It's an impossible task for you in your own strength to sanctify yourself. 
But what is impossible with us, God has made possible by His Spirit. Not only does He look back and, and in this redundant safety, this, this redundant judgmental inspection, did it come through the correct conduit and with much compulsion, sometimes convulsions, I almost said convulsions, and in the spirit of counsel, but it also ushered them into a walk by creed. Now, I, 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 Baptists aren't known for being creedal Christians. In fact, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. Josh is probably going to listen to this later, but he's not here to stare at me down or anything. So, so I'm going to say this. When I first came here, I've, I've gotten kind of used to it now. But when I first came here and we would do the recite the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, and I can't remember what all they are. I know them when I see them, they pop up there, and I've gotten used to it. But it made me anxious. It made me anxious in the beginning because it was, uh, it seemed to me foreign. Baptists are not creedal Christians, per se. It seemed like something, I went, to a, I went to a Catholic funeral one time, and that's what it reminded me of in the beginning. Now, I've embraced it now. In fact, I guess maybe I've, I've fully embraced it because uh, obviously you see the, that all the points start with C. That's, that's a thing for me. But we're, we're talking about the word conviction. I could have just thrown conviction in there. It starts with a C already. The Lord gave me that one free. But as I meditated on this, I, I thought about that because it's, it's not, I don't believe, a conviction as, as if uh, convicted by sin, or the conviction of sin. When the gospel comes to you, it's not, it's not necessarily what he's talking about here that, that I was convicted of my sin, but it's a conviction that, that leads me into, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to stand up to this. I'm going to live this out. It's that, compulsor, that compulsory aspect is, is continuing to grow in my life. It's leading me to live by the precepts of God. That's what it means to be creedal. Hey, I'm taking on this creed, and this is how I live my life. Some of you may be the same as me. The first creed I ever memorized was the FFA creed. Do you remember, does anybody remember that? I believe in the future of farming with a faith born not of words, but of deeds. That's all I remember of it. But that says a lot. See, now that, now that this gospel message has come to my heart in power and in the Holy Spirit, that message has come alive and ushered me over into a new way of thinking a new way of responding, a new way of dressing, a new way of talking, a new way of dealing with people, a new way of seeing the worldview through, through a new pair of glasses. He and His spoken Word has saved me and given me conviction. 
probably every time I stand up here. I, I'm going to I'm have to get a handle on this. Probably every time I'm up here, I mention classic rock. Because I listen to classic rock. I mean, you might as well just know it. It makes my people work harder, too, when there's... <laughs> like driving fast. You ever get a song on the radio that makes you speed? But even in that, I have, I have conviction. There are some songs that within a, within a note or two, I say, turn that off. I'm not listening to that. It go, they're going too far. It's, it's heretical. I mean, it's all heretical. It's, it's world. But there's some of it that I just can't deal with. There's, there's television I won't deal with. There's people I won't deal with. I have shaken the dust off my sandals where this person is concerned. I have, a, I have been given a liberty by the Lord. I've done, done what you've asked me to do. They rejected you, and I'm finished. There are silly things, what, what the world would say, and, and, and probably some Christians would say are just silly. Well, that's just silly. But it's my conviction. The Lord dealt with me on that. And I cannot go back. This this gospel is so powerful that He has infiltrated my heart. He has taken over me. He has changed me. He saved me. He is saving me. And He will save me. All by the spoken Word of God. It still comes through the correct conduit. It still comes with much compulsion. It still comes in the spirit of counsel. And I'm becoming more and more pushed into a life lived by creed. I remember some time ago a family member was, was aggravated at our chosen lifestyle. We had just been followers of Christ for a short time and, and something was said that was offensive to this family member and this person said, well, you don't get up and pray about what you're going to wear. I'll never forget that because I immediately, I immediately, the Lord reminded me of my one-time favorite Harley Davidson shirt that had a curse word. It had a curse word on it. And I mean, the honest truth is, this is the honest truth. This, this is ridiculous, I know. But the honest truth is, when I became convicted about that shirt, I couldn't just get rid of it in the beginning. I had to take it and just put it in the back of my closet and just kind of cover it up. I said, well, I'm not going to wear it anymore, but it's, it's been through so much with me. I mean, it looked like a Kleenex. It had holes all in it and stuff. It was just worn to a frazzle. But when, but when this person said that, and it just didn't it, I almost I almost said male or female there. The person said it actually to my wife, and, and then my wife repeated it to me, and I thought, and, and it, it bugged me, but, but I had this relief. Like, well, the Lord is changing me. I did get saved. 
And so this precept, this precept of a judgmental Christian works both ways. When I love someone, I want their security to be real. When the devil attacks me and I doubt my own salvation, I want that message to validate what God has done in my life. I want to be able to look back like Isaiah 55. See, this, this walk by creed gives me confidence in His Word. I'm going to throw another C in there that goes along with it. It gives me confidence. The more I walk by that creed, the more I see that power and the, and the Spirit of counsel changing me and molding me and, and, and chastising me and loving me and exhorting me, the more confidence I have in His gospel. Isaiah 55.11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing that, for which I sent it. One last thing and I'm closing. Bert read uh, Philippians chapter 1. I found a note on that scripture because the scripture says, I pray that you would, that your love would abound, that you might approve what is excellent and be made pure. And the King James Version says sincere. And I found this note that said, in ancient times, pottery dealers would would disguise cheaply made pottery with wax. They would fill in the cracks with wax before they glazed the pot. And the only way that you could tell a, a, a good vessel from a poorly made vessel was to hold that vessel up to the sun, and they began to call it sun testing. And so the pottery dealers in the square would sun test their vessels, and then they would put a mark on that, sin cetera. That means sun-tested. It's where we get our word sincere. This is what these men were telling Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonica. You encourage us because we see that you're genuine. You're real. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this day. God, we, we do lift those that are absent this day and, and are homesick. We pray for healing in their lives. I pray that this Lord's Day, Father, that your manifest presence would be in their homes, that they would, uh, that they would recognize, Father, that even though they long to be at church, you are with them wherever they are because you've chosen them, you love them, Father, I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts. And God, we ask you these things and we give you all these things in the name of my Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.